I'm going to ask everyone to make their way back to their seats, and we're going to continue. And we've been blessed to have our friend Terry Virgo here from England, and uh, we've so appreciated him being able to come and to be with us and to bring uh, the Word of God in such a powerful and relevant way, and we're encouraged that he's able to continue to share with us this morning. So as you make your way uh, to your seats, why don't we welcome Terry. Terry, welcome, and come and uh, open up God's Word for us again, please. Thanks. Well, thank you so much. It's a special joy to be uh, with the church here this morning. I've enjoyed the conference enormously. It's been great, and I guess many of you have been at the conference, but there's something very special about being with the church and the church that's uh, undergirded prayerfully, and I'm sure in many other ways, serving to let the conference happen. I want to thank you for hosting the conference. Thank you for your commitment. That's made that possible. And uh, it's a great joy to be here. It's a great joy for me to be with Jeremy and to see his ministry providing security, not only here, but across the nation to a growing number of churches. And to see Joe uh, with his spiritual oversight and obvious maturity and godliness. Uh, it's a joy to be here and uh, see lots of old friends, uh, renew friendships with people and make new friends. So it's been a massive joy uh, for me to be here. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to just closing off this uh, conference with you now. And I, I feel God has stirred my heart with that scripture which says, Consider Abraham the rock from which you were hewn. Consider Abraham, when he was one, I called him. And uh, it's been my joy and privilege, I guess, now over some decades to be caught up in what we now call New Frontiers. I remember when we were one church in the UK. I remember when we were one church in what we used to call Bombay, now called Mumbai. One church. It was called Living Word. Now there are scores of churches. They planted out living word, living light. Now they're right across India. Different language groups planting out. Last one, I was in Delhi last year, their latest church plant. Uh, I was in Guadalajara when we were one church in Guadalajara, El Camino. And now there are four churches in Guadalajara and 20 plus churches across the nation. I was in the States when we were one church in Missouri. Now, like a couple of dozen churches growing. One church in Holland, one church in South Africa, Jubilee in Cape Town. Now dozens of churches. I've seen it happen again and again, one church. And God says, consider Abraham. When he was one, I called him. God's given you a great calling. God's given you a calling as a people. I want us to just kind of identify as a kind of corporate Abraham as I uh, read these scriptures and expound these scriptures to you so that we're not just studying some old guy of centuries ago. We are identifying with an amazing calling which has fruitfulness coming and which, as we heard from the prophetic word from Ginny, God is about to blow in an amazing way, do something of great proportion it's great when a local church doesn't just see, well, it's the place I go on Sunday mornings. It's the church I go to. It's part of God's great, great, great program. And hosting this conference has uh, been a little hint to you of your significance across this nation. And I want us to see it in that kind of light as uh, we look at this. Okay, so just three verses in Genesis 12. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land which I'll show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. No small promise, eh? 
then in Romans and chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, we pick it up at verse 16, where it says, Abraham is the father of all, verse 17, as it's written, a father of many nations have I made you, in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which doesn't exist, which could be translated literally, calls not being things as being. In hope, against hope, he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he didn't waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully assured, I love the translation, persuaded, being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Father, thank you so much for the delight and privilege it's been to be here. Lord, the great privilege of being in a context of worship several hours through these few days, feeling heaven open, feeling truth pouring into our hearts, feeling love saturating our spirits, opportunity to declare to you, Father, our, our worship. We're so grateful, Father. We thank you for being with us, Father. We ask you right now in the name of Jesus for the Holy Spirit to come powerfully upon us. Lord, we pray. I pray for a deposit of faith to come through this word. I pray that you will put in our inner being an injection of supernatural faith that will give us incredible fruitfulness for your glory and praise. So, Father, we invite you, the living God, Lord, you call into being that which doesn't exist. So, Father, come and bless us, we pray, with your truth. Let your hand be on us, we pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Abraham was chosen by God, as we've heard in the meeting this morning, as Jeremy prophesied, it's God who is the initiator. It's not, there's nothing in the Bible saying that Abraham was a seeker after God, there's nothing to suggest that he was saying, oh God, where are you? Where are you? Uh, God initiated, God interrupted his pagan life with an extraordinary statement, amazing promise. He didn't call him into a, a private conversion. He didn't call him in order to meet his need. He didn't call him to become religious sort of things we associate with maybe starting to be a churchgoer. Well, is there some need? I can have my need met. Uh, is he going to uh, just satisfy religious propensity? Uh, is he going to just uh, watch over me and I'll become a religious person? Uh, there's none of that there at all. None of it. Not a sign of it. He just comes to him and says, I'm going to bless you. And through you, I will bless all the families of the earth. It's an incredible thing. And although we have some previous history to Abram in terms of the creation and the story of Noah, etc., God's plan for global blessing starts here in the Bible. And it doesn't finish till the end of the book of Revelation, and it's still going on today. And we're part of God's promise to Abraham. We are part of the fulfillment of that promise. God said to Abraham, can you count the stars? And of course he couldn't. He said, so many will your children be. Can you count the sand? It's like at night and at day, you've got a testimony. So many will your children be. A phenomenal, incredible blessing. So Abraham was called to mighty purpose, all right? That's, if you like, that's my first heading. He was called to mighty purpose. God had a plan to bless the world. God wanted to bless the world. God's intention was to bless the world. If you read the story, and the Bible needs to be understood like that, it is a story, 66 books, but it's a story. 
and it has a beginning and it has a process. And you find that in the previous chapter, God had told them to fill the earth. And instead of doing that, they said, no, 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 we're going to do it our way. Uh, We'll build a tower. We'll build a city. We'll be self-sufficient. And uh, they began to be arrogant and and self-centered. And and God said, I'll scatter you. And he came down and, and multiplied languages and made them discordant and made them go off in their different directions. The very next chapter in his incredible mercy, he comes to Abraham and says, you're going to bless all those nations. Through you, I will bless all the families of the earth, all the nations, all the clans, through you. I'm going to bless through you. And so God's program didn't start as we might have thought in terms of, well, I'll bless some of those in Mexico and some of those in Australia and some of those in Russia. God started with an individual And he began to work out his purpose in that individual. And actually, the story of Abraham is a little bit unique in terms of, well, in fact, the patriarch, so-called father, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You don't read stories like this until you get into the New Testament. When you hear Jesus coming to Simon Peter and say, follow me, you kind of have to wait, really, for a long time before that personal one-to-one thing begins to happen again. So here, Abraham is a kind of model of somebody God wants to call and invest purpose in. And down through church history, you'll find that happening. You'll find someone like a Hudson Taylor, who was a young guy in the UK, and then just in his early 20s, God put a huge passion in his heart for the millions of China. And it's a phenomenal thing. But here's a guy, and uh, of course, I kind of feel a personal joy and delight in this because it was on Brighton Beach, and I come from Brighton, that you can read the story how this 23-year-old walked up and down Brighton Beach with this in his heart. Can I go into inland China? There were already some missionaries on the coast, but no one was going inland. And he wrestled and battled, and it says he was in a church meeting, and he couldn't stand being in a meeting with hundreds worshipping. And he he left the meeting just to kind of wrestle with God because his passion for China. And then he he just fought through in faith. He said, right, I'm going to go inland. I'm going to trust God to supply. I'll I'll initiate something, which was very radical in those days. And he gathered the few people, and off they went to China. And the, the day after he made that decision, or at least that very day, he walked up, it says he walked up the road by Brighton Station. I've always wondered which church he was in, but I know which road he must have walked up. And he opened a bank account the next day, China Inland Mission, and put a few pounds in it. Now we have, well, in his lifetime, thousands of missionaries went into China, and in our lifetime, millions of Christians in China, who all say, this was like our father in God. They honor, esteem, reverence that man. See, God, God gets hold of someone and invests purpose in them. He does it corporately with the church. He gets hold of a church and invests purpose in them. So we don't live just for our own selves. It's God, it's God who initiates. God grabs us. God gets hold of us. And when God gets hold of you, you have no idea who he's looking at beyond you. You look at a Jackie Pullinger, frail girl, went off to Hong Kong. You think, man, what she's accomplished, what she's done. It's breathtaking. So God invests purpose in a life. And so don't, don't miss the point. This guy is called to extraordinary purpose. And Jesus said to his disciples, you haven't chosen me. I've chosen you. He said that you might go and bring forth fruit. That's God's great purpose for us. It's God's great purpose for you as a people, as a church. God's got great purpose for you, that you should be very, very fruitful with great plans for this great nation. This is much bigger than. I'm sure when Hudson Taylor, it says one day he was wrestling with God and his mother was elsewhere praying because she was so concerned for his conversion and she shut herself away. She said, I'm not coming out of this room till my son gets saved. It starts with a mother wrestling with God. Starts with a boy finding his way through and then begins to be millions. God invests purpose in us and we need to open up our eyes to that. So he's not looking for conversion. He's not looking for my needs to be met. God has his needs to be met in this person. God is on a mission. We're not trying to get God interested in our mission. Look, we've got an idea. We'd like to bless Canada. Can we get your interest? That's not the deal. 
The deal is, I'm on a mission. I want to interest you in it. God, God interrupts this pagan's life and invests in him huge purpose. It's a call with mighty purpose. Secondly, it's a call to mighty faith. It's a call to mighty faith. Why do you think God starts with a guy who's really old, whose wife is barren? Why does he start there? Why doesn't he start with Israel? Why doesn't he say, Israel, man alive, you've got 12 already. I think you're going to fill the earth. This is impressive. Yes, 12, woo. No, no, it starts with a guy who can't possibly do it. Why? Well, I think to emphasize the faith aspect of what we accomplish, the faith aspect, the total dependence on God actually being the one who makes it happen. So as we proceed and as we hear God speak to us, there could come that initial thing, well, this is an impossible thing. But here, the, the, the importance and nature of faith is emphasized from the beginning, right from the beginning. And then you get this wonderful thing that is celebrated right through the Bible. Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. It's not just he believed. Some people say, oh, well, he's got faith. I haven't got much faith. As though faith was some temperamental thing, sort of personality. Oh, he's got lots of faith. I don't have much faith. That's not, it's, that's not the deal. Somebody's like, well, he's an extrovert. He's kind of optimistic person. He's got faith. That is not what we're talking about. We're saying what faith the Bible is. Abraham believed God. He believed God. And this wonderful thing that he believed the one who gives life to the dead and calls into being what previously did not exist. He calls things that are not as though they were. In fact, if you like, when God said to Abraham, look at the stars. So many will your children be. Well, listen, I made the stars from nothing. Abraham, I've done it before. See how many stars? We believe in what the theologians call creatio ex nihil, creation out of nothing. Out of nothing. What's nothing? What's nothing? Jonathan Edwards said, nothing is what rocks in the desert dream about at night. (laughs) We said, nothing is what your six-year-old did at school this morning. (laughs) What was school like? Okay, what did you do? Nothing. (laughs) God created out of nothing. You know, we're impressed when a guy can get a rabbit out of a hat. But God did it without help of rabbit or hat. He created from nothing. And we're making a huge statement about this great God who can out of nothing do it. And that's the whole point. He starts with a guy who can't do it. So that faith is absolutely essential. And, this, and with it, beloved, is this awareness that without faith it's impossible to please God. And he that comes to God must believe that he is, and must believe that by faith we understand the heavens and the earth were created by him. We believe in a God of creation, a God who can make something out of nothing. That's the God we're following. We're not trying to start a religion. We're not letting the world say to us, oh, Christians ought to do this and Christians ought to do that and the church should do this and why doesn't the church change its view? Why doesn't the church catch up? Haven't they seen cultures moved on? Come on, church, change your views. No, 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 we're not representing views. We're serving the creator of the heavens and the earth. We're under his authority. We we represent another order altogether. And when the church is trying to catch the mood, they so miss the point. Because we're here representing another authority. And as we go on our task, as we go, as we see in the early church, and they began to go, and Paul says, he arrives at a place called Corinth. And the Apostle Paul is a traveling, we would maybe say missionary. He's a traveling apostle. He's planting new churches. He's reaching out. He comes to Corinth. He says he's trembling. He says the Lord comes to him in the night. Jesus, the ascended living Christ, comes to him in the night and says, Don't be scared, Paul. I've got many people in this city. You could say, Well, you haven't even been to this city. We haven't started yet. God says, No, I've got many people in this city. 
It's like, I call people. I'm, go on, Paul, you go, but I'm going ahead of you. You go. Don't be scared. I'm, I'm going. I'm calling. I'm in this thing. As we heard again in the meeting this evening, this morning, the Macedonian call. There's a similar deal. Paul's trying to go this way, trying to go that way. Can't. And then he hears this call. Come across to Macedonia. Wow. That's the next step that God's mission is involved in. And when he goes, he gets beaten up and thrown into prison. You think, hey, who got that vision? Forget it. What a stupid vision. No, no. He's in prison. He's praising God. An earthquake breaks out. A church gets planted. And the mission of God comes into Europe. The history of God's purpose begins to break out. And God is involved. Beloved, we shall send people to church plant. And we'll say, which city comes next? And where are we going to go next? And we'll feel the leading of the Spirit. We'll feel this is the next city. And some people here. And people we know in our ranks will feel, hey, God's putting this city on my heart. He is? Yeah, he is. And you'll hear that. And I mean, I've heard it over years now. People have surprised me, amazed me. We had a tremendous student worker in our church in Brighton. His name was Tom Eaton. And he went to Ghana with his wife, Julie, leading a team, a mission team to Ghana, West Africa. And uh, he came back and I said, well, how'd it go? He said, well, I said, Terry, we feel God's called us. I thought, wow, he's going to West Africa, to Japan. Japan? (laughs) You go to West Africa to get a call to Japan? And he went and buried himself in language study. And he kind of almost disappeared off the scene almost because he's just giving himself, giving himself, giving himself. Now, recently, I just heard they they took away a church weekend with 100 people. In Japan, that is breathtaking. Wonderful. You think God just put this call in, he just knew it. We've got to go. I, thought, I looked at them, they were. There's Tom's redhead, blonde wife, they go to Japan. <laughs> and they got these three little blonde girls and they stand out. You think, whoa, and they're running around the church when I was there, all speaking Japanese, these little children <laughs> running among this Japan and Tom's trying to get the language and the kids are fluent already. God puts calls in people's hearts. And invest purpose in them. And as we rise to this, so I've got many people in this city. See, God spoke this promise to him and it entered into his heart. It, it, he found a, a resting place of faith. Abraham believed God. Scripture says that the word didn't profit certain people because it wasn't mixed with faith. We know the parable of the sower, that the seed falls in all sorts of places. And you could already be one of those people who's like on the pathway thinking, when's this guy going to finish? I've, you know, and you just don't even hear anything. Other people are feeling, man, I'm part of this. Their hearts are captivated. They just know God's speaking to them. See, the word profits you when it's mixed with faith. Or you can get it clogged up with all kinds of other stuff. You can be very shallow ground. You can be thorny ground. But when it gets into your heart and gets mixed with faith, stuff starts happening. Paul says to the Thessalonians, when you heard the word of God, you accepted it, not as the word of man, but for what it really is, the word of God, which performs its work in you who believe. It's like a seed disappears in the ground, and it's performing work. The seed is doing the work. And Paul says, when you receive the word, it works within you. The, the seed does the work. The word does the work. It begins to change your values, change your thoughts, change your expectations. The seed has life. But you have to let it come in. You have to engage with it. Let it change your thinking. He believed, Abraham believed God, and God's program for world evangelization started because this guy believed God the program begins the program that's reached us far off it's reached us because Abraham started he believed God the program started moving on M.R. Vincent in his terrific little commentary on the New Testament really he says this faith apprehends as a real fact what is not revealed to the senses. It rests on that fact, acts upon it, is upheld by it in the face of all that seems to contradict. 
accepts that fact, acts on it. In the face of all that seems to contradict. And God will sometimes, as we saw here the other day, do signs and wonders and demonstrate, hey, there's another dimension. There's a power dimension that's outside of our reason, but we believe God will do it, and God does it. We think, wow, look what just happened, because we're confident what he says is true. And this, he is called then to mighty faith. He's also called, thirdly, to a step of commitment. Go from your country, your relatives, your father's house. See, faith isn't something you just add it's not just a mental thing. Faith brings a call for response. Faith changes your value system, changes your worldview, makes you reassess everything. Faith isn't a little stuff you add. It's not a little bit of religion. Faith just erodes away all sorts of things you thought were important and builds something fresh for you to build your life on. So he's called to leave his familiar place of security, his roots, his identity, and to come out abandoning his past, leaving his previous loyalties, leaving his previous worldview. See, beloved, when you become a Christian, it's not just adding a bit of religion. If you let Jesus do it, he'll invade all your value system. How a husband should treat his wife. How a wife should honor her husband how you should raise kids, how you should do work. How, it invades everything. Well, I thought, I thought, yeah, we thought all sorts of stuff. The gospel changes. I thought this politically. I thought that. No, no. The gospel just changes you. It changes your worldview. Everybody's got a worldview. The gospel is big enough not just to be your additional. You know, I've got my job. I've got my family. I've got my vacations. I've got my pension. I've got Christ as well. It's a nice big picture. No, he comes in. To rearrange everything and to bring in the kingdom of God, the rule of God. It's not something we just add on. It's something that captivates us. He says, come to a journey. And then he says this incredible thing, to a place I will show you. I'm going to take you to a place I will show you. Hebrews 11.8 says, he went out not knowing where he was going. Scary, hey. Going up, not knowing. That's the call of faith. It's a call of commitment to him. Not knowing where you're going. Call of trust and abandonment to God's wisdom, God's love. I know when Wendy and I were at Bible college and uh, we'd met at college and uh, fell in love in college, got engaged, and uh, all sorts of spiritual realities have been pressed in on me that meant I couldn't go back to what I'd been in before. I'd been saved into a Baptist world, which was a lovely Baptist church, but I had exposure to a whole new life of the Spirit, which made me know that I can't go that way. And uh, we're in our last year, and, and the days and the weeks are going quickly. And, you know, we're at the end of three years of college. Where do we do next? Where do we go next? And I was getting very clear guidance, not this. I had invitation, would you do this? God said no. Would you do this? God said no. I thought, God said no. I thought, but what? And uh, Wendy and I were praying together, just gave ourselves to praying for a while. And I had a, a prophecy, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend that we expect this to happen with just two of us praying, because it says let the others weigh, and it's all a bit dodgy with just two of you. So I'm not advocating this, but this is what happened. I had a prophecy, and the Lord said this, I am the way. Stay very close to me. We didn't know where we were going to go. And when he said, I am the way, that solved nothing. And it solved everything. I still didn't know where we were going. But we were so at rest. He said, I'm the way. I thought, oh, thank you, Jesus. We don't know what to do. And he said, I'm the way. And within a few weeks, the door began to open. The way started coming. But he's saying, I am the way. It's like, come on, come with, just come with me. Just come with me. That's what he said to Abraham. Come to me, I will show you a place. Come, come, you go out. You commit yourself to God. Have you done that yet? See, when I first got saved, I asked Jesus into my heart, which is the kind of phrase we've made up. Not a very biblical concept. And I said to all the other idols, move over, 
Jesus is coming in. But I still worshipped all the other idols. That's not really what he's after. He says, I want your life. Follow me. Give your life to me. Follow me. So we commit ourselves to what he's offering us. We go out with him. We pursue him. And sometimes it's not always what you expected. You know, he says, he says Abraham, was a, it seems like he's a prosperous guy. He had lots of servants, as comes out in the story. He's got quite a lot of servants. He's got flocks. He's living in a big city, I guess comfortable. And God says, now come, move. We're going out. I've sh-. It says in another place, God showed him a city which has foundations. It's like he saw something in the Spirit. In, in, the Bible opens it up in different ways. It says in, uh, right through in Acts chapter 7, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. It doesn't actually say that in the Old Testament. He had a, a revelation of God. He somehow saw a city which has foundations, which you, you, you kind of discover when you get right to the end of the book. In fact, some people have said the Bible is the tale of two cities. Babylon, Babel, and the city of Jerusalem, the city of God. The tale of two cities. One of them says, no, we do it our way. The other one says, no. We're... And it goes from Genesis, you come to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, it says in, uh, I think, Revelation 19, Babylon, that great city. And it says it's gone. It's destroyed. Then it says, the new holy city coming down out of heaven. And beloved, that's where it is. We're, we're trying to build a city it has its roots in God, its foundations in God. And it's like it says in the Scriptures, millions are in the valley of decision. There's this city of independence. There's this whole Babylon, that great city. Oh, it's a great city. And then that holy city coming down out of heaven like a bride for a husband. We're saying, come out of that city, come into this city. It's not just a personal deal. Come out of that community. Come into this community. And we're going to see the city built again and again and again. When Paul went out, there's nothing in Corinth. I've got many people. I'm going to build a city here. I'm going to build a city in Philippi. And Paul says, writes to the Philippians later, he says, your citizenship is in heaven. That's where you really belong. Though you're in that very proud Roman city called Philippi. But actually you, live, you belong to another one. And Abraham's the first one to see that. Abraham saw a city which has foundations. And he went out. And I can imagine on the very first night when they lived in a tent, you know, they're banging in the tent pegs like at a Bible week. And uh, I can imagine Sarah saying to him, hey, I thought you said a city. What are we doing here? (laughs) This doesn't look like a city. But the reason they were living in the tent was because they'd seen a city. And every church planter knows what I'm talking about. Every church planter goes out and starts hammering down a few pegs and feels the flimsiness of what they've started in this hired hall where the guy forgot to turn the heat on again. And we have to put the chairs out. And You think, what is this? No, I've seen something. I've seen what God wants in Toronto, in Ottawa, in Vancouver. I've seen what God wants. But we'll live, what is this? Yeah, this is, we're building this because I've seen this. That's what we want to write over what's happening here. We've seen, beloved, we've seen something. God wants to do something of huge proportion. Here in Fredericton, this whole Atlantic seaboard, God wants to do something wonderful. University cities, he's got his eyes, got his eyes on students you've not yet met. He's got destinies, stories for them. He wants us to go and find them. I've got many people in these universities. Let's go find them. Because God's on the move. Next, it's a call to overcome reason. See, there are plenty of reasons not to believe. And we've all got those. And Abraham had them in spades. I mean, his own body's as good as dead. The King James translation says this, he did not consider his own body. But that's the only translation that puts it that way. More recent translations will say, no, having considered his own body. It's not like he didn't consider. It's like, I don't see I'm an old guy. It's like Joshua seeing the walls of Jericho and saying, I see no walls. 
That's not genuine faith. It's like, don't look at the problem. It's not there. It's not there. No, it is there. It is there. Abraham, a real problem. (laughs) The guy's 99. He's got a problem. And not only is he 99, she's barren. It's like, well, I could do it elsewhere, but look what you got. You've asked me to do it with this group. Do I have to do it through her? Lord, can't you give me, you know, if only you could give me some, no, it's this, all right, this group then. Can I really produce something through this group? Yes. Abram has to produce it through his barren wife, and he's 99. So there's plenty of reasons not to believe. It says in the NIV, facing, face the fact that his own body as good as dead. He faced the fact. It's not that he did not consider. The more modern translation says he faced the fact. But don't you love what that thing I mentioned just now, M.R. Vincent, he said, faith apprehends as real fact what is not yet revealed to the senses. God has said it. So, Real facts, God's spoken, God has spoken. So these apparent facts, it's impossible, have to yield. Reason has to bow. Logic has to bow. Logic that says, we can't get that building, and how could we raise that much money? And it's impossible. I mean, we've fought battles like this when local authorities said, no, you can't have the building. And we said, well, I think we know someone bigger than you. And those battles, beloved, are being repeated now. You look at yourselves and say, how can we raise this much money? How can we? They're talking millions now. I mean, this is, uh, again and again and again, reason will come into your face and say, you can't do it. You can't do it. How are we going to do this? There has to be a faith that overcomes. A faith that says, yes, we can. And you read the great stories of men of faith like Hudson Taylor like George Mueller, like C.T. Studd, like these great pioneers, read them, soak yourself in the stories of tremendous men and women of faith. Gladys Elwood, Jackie Pullinger. I mean, the faith is fantastic. How on earth did they do it? They believed God. They trusted God. They put more confidence in what God said than in the apparent facts. God said he's going to do it. Beloved, you've got to let that well up in your heart. God said he's going to do it. And so faith overcomes reason. It overcomes contrary evidence. Beloved, it overcomes previous failure. We say, well, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work for me. Faith overcomes, we say, oh, I'm too old for that now. Abraham was a bit too old for that. See, a lot of us say, oh, well, it's just for the young guys. Hey, we've got to keep believing God. Let the promises overwhelm. Let them overshadow reason, subjugate reason, dominate reason, overawe reason. Let faith chase reason out of the sight. I'm reminded of my wife when she saw some cats in our garden. She went out there and shoot them out of the garden. Get out of here. That's what we've got to do when faith, when reason comes in and says, oh, it's impossible. Get out of my garden. God spoke. It's, you've got to th- just challenge logic because we're serving another God. And something about faith that really pleases God. If you look at Hebrews 11, you think, how did some of these guys get in here? You're not even very moral people. They had colossal faith, and God loves faith. If I can put it this way, God inordinately loves faith. Some of the people God blesses, you think, oh, bless that guy. He's got faith. Love, God loves faith. I'm not trying to applaud something that's a bit inconsistent. I'm just saying God loves faith. And we need to find faith and trust God. God is saying to us, overcome. So it says he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. I'm so weak. I'm so foolish. I'm so inexperienced. He did not weaken in faith. Now, you can weaken in faith by looking at yourself. So I can't do this. So many Bible characters started there. Like Gideon said, I can't. God said, you will. And faith grew. Hebrews 11 says, out of weakness, he became strong. Put foreign armies to flight. He changed. He changed his personality. 
changed how, what he was like. Let God do that. Change as you believe him, as you believe him. And then it says also, he did not waver in unbelief at the enormity of the promise. So two things that could challenge him. One, I'm weak. Two, the promise is stupid. All, you're going to bless all the families of the earth? What do you mean? All the fa- I mean, the promise is massive. You're going to change the expression of Christianity? Huh? I mean, it's just too massive. The promise is too massive. He did not waver in unbelief at the enormity of the promise. God's going to give us a model church here that's going to influence right across Canada. Oh, come on. Come on. We know big churches. Are, hey, he did not weaken in faith. He didn't waver at, this, at the hugeness of the promise. That we're going to see churches planted across this nation. We're going to join hands across with Reese and the guys in Vancouver. We're going to see churches planted. We're going to, don't let the enormity under... No, no, God's promised. God has said. That's what we're talking about here. God has made a promise. God has spoken. Sometimes we confuse humility with unbelief. We think, well, no, I couldn't possibly. Charles Hodge, that great American theologian, said this, it's a very great error for men to suppose that to doubt is an, is an evidence of humility. See, sometimes, well, I couldn't do that. He says, that is not an evidence of humility. We can get confused. See, David sounded pretty arrogant when he said to Goliath, your head's coming off today. He didn't say, I'm going to throw a stone at you. He said, your head's coming off. I mean, faith sounds like arrogance, doesn't it? It really, who do you think you are? Well, I'm coming in the name of the Lord. So faith, we've got to rise to faith. We've got to believe God, trust God, go in the strength of what he's saying. And then let's just notice this as we begin to close here. It was a call to growing faith. It says here in Romans 4, he grew strong in faith. He grew in faith. I find that so encouraging. Because sometimes we're so aware, we think, wow, these people have great faith. He grew in faith. Your faith can grow. Abraham's faith grew. You think there was such a long delay you'd think his faith would diminish because God made him the promise and nothing much seems to happen. Well, then you think, well, he was bright at the beginning. He believed God, but nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. You think faith would dwindle. No, when nothing happened, nothing happening, his faith grew. That's what it says in the Bible. He grew strong in faith, giving praise and glory to God, fully persuaded that what God had promised is also able to to perform. It's a wonderful verse. What God has promised. It's not like God makes a promise and can't do it. It's not like God says, Abraham, you will do this. And then the years slip by and he says to Abraham, did you, how old did you say you were? 1999? Oh. And Sarah's what? Oh, Baron, oh, she looks so lively. Oh, I never... Uh, <laughs> I never, th- I didn't really, oh, sorry, chum, you know, well, I mean, <laughs> how could I, under- I mean, phew, you know, it seemed a good idea, but no, what God had promised, what God has promised, he's able to do. God doesn't make promises he can't fulfill. God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, will he not do it? Has he spoken, will he not make it good? Beloved, God wants us to see that it's because of his promise. We grow strong in faith, giving glory to God, fully assured that what he said he'll do, and that will be tested. That will be tested. That will be tried, like Abraham was tried. But his faith triumphed. I've just been reading through Hebrews in my devotions at home, gone through that whole chapter 11. It's wonderful. It says we're surrounded by this Cloud of witnesses, they're all witnessing. They're not witnessing us running. They're all witnessing he's faithful. They're all shouting out, trust him, trust him. Abraham's shouting, Sarah's shouting, Moses is shouting, one after the other. Hebrews 11, they're shouting, you can trust him. You can trust him. 
fully assured what he's promised he will accomplish. You are father of a multitude, Abraham. When he woke up in the morning, he's God's blessing to the world. Imagine being married to him, ladies. Imagine Sarah. Good morning, Sarah. Here I am, God's blessing to the world. Imagine being married to God's... I'm just God's blessing to the world. But it was true. It's true. God says, I'm through you, I'll bless the world. I'm, God's ble- I'm just God's blessing to the world. Do you think of yourself like that? See, when you go into that office, you go into that university, I'm God's blessing to you. God sent me. But you say, but my mum always said, I'd never be anything. My dad used to say to me, you're useless. You might say, I've heard so many times, you're a waste of time. So many people have said to me, you're useless. Now we've got to let God persuade us. When God says, I've chosen you, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I've invested purpose in your life and I'm not wasting my time. I'm God. That's what happens to Bible characters, and that's what happens to us, because it's the same God who calls us and invests us with purpose. You've not chosen me. I've chosen you. I've appointed you. As the Father sent me, so send I you. God sends you into that school, into that university, into that office, into that neighborhood. He sent you. You're there. You're God's blessing to that neighborhood. You're there on divine commission. And as we go and plant churches, as we go into new areas, we have to have this assurance. We're going to please God. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. So we're going to trust him. You've got to get rid of that thought that says, how can I ever be a blessing? How can I possibly be a blessing? And so many of us would say, and we just get so undone in worship again and again because we think back oh God what a shambles what a mess and you saved us when he found us we were a hopeless case I would be ashamed to give the testimony of my old life and you think God you're incredible mercy you invest us with your love your life your purpose hey let's not waste God's commitment to you Sometimes you want to pray for people and they say things like this. I don't know if I feel God loves me. You think, what are you talking about? That's not time for the arm around the shoulder and says, oh, maybe he does. No, come on, come on. If you're a Christian, he's mad about you. He's for you. This I know, God is for me. That's the testimony of the believer. We never yield to those lies of the devil. So it's that awareness, God's called me. God's for me. How can I be fruitful? God has promised you'll be fruitful. Be fully persuaded that what God has promised, he will perform. So I close here this morning. I just want to say once again to you as a people, I'm not just trying to preach a sermon. I'm trying to speak to you. God's got a call upon you. You know, coming in from outside, it's so evident. Observing what's happening, seeing what's taking place. Let's rise to it corporately to feel like hey, we're like a corporate Abraham here. God's making us promises. And we all play our part because we believe in a body of ministry, different gifts, different ministries, hospitalities, leading small groups, caring for children, serving behind the scenes, making something like this happen. It's part of fulfilling God's call on our lives. Let's stand to pray. Father, thank you so much for coming to Abraham, awakening him with faith. Thank you your eye was on us when you spoke to him. You spoke to him about millions who would subsequently believe. We thank you we're here today fulfilling that, just as you promised. Father, we want to ask you for this great nation, We ask you, Father, for great cities and for small towns and for university towns and rural areas and people who are living without God. 
people who've turned their back, people who've been raised religious but given up. Father, here we are, Lord. And Father, we ask you right now for your quickening word to do us good. We pray that we'll be fully persuaded that what God's promised, fully assured, that you don't waste your words. Thank you for your word. I've received commandment to bless. He is blessed. I can't reverse it. God is not a man that he should lie. Lord, I pray the blessing of God upon this church this morning. I stand in the name of Jesus. Let the favor of God continue to be upon us. I pray bless Joe and the leadership here. Bless visiting pastors who are here this morning. Bless embryo churches bursting into life. Lord, let your favor, come Holy Spirit, let your favor rest upon, rest upon. And let us grow in faith. Let us grow in faith, giving glory to God. We thank you, Lord, as we, as we begin to praise you in a second and sing our praise. We, we say, let us grow in faith, giving glory to God, fully persuaded. Let us sing our songs of faith. Lord, we're not just singing songs. We're saying, I believe you, Lord. You're faithful. I trust you. We're going to see this happen. So, Lord, bless, I pray. Bless. Let your river flow through. Let your wind blow. Let your kingdom come. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. respond to this. It's so important that we respond to this. This isn't just a prophetic word for Joe and a few of us. This isn't just standing back and saying, oh, that's nice. God's got a few words for Joe. Always thought that he'd do well. Always thought that he'd step into something. The local boy did good. This is about us as a community. This is about all of us here in Fredericton, Christ Central Fredericton. This is about all of those who are visiting here. This is about us as a corporate body stepping into God's fruitfulness. So God has promised fruitfulness to us. He's prophesied it over us today. He's spoken it powerfully through that apostolic word from Terry. This is about us being fruitful. Now, we can either step back and observe it or we can step into it. Now, right now, this is about a choice saying, I will respond to God's call. I'll step into this irresistible grace. I'll respond to it. I'll step into it. And that means many of us might go church planting. It means many of us might go to the nation and the nations. But it also means many of us tomorrow morning might see fruitfulness and will see fruitfulness in schools, in colleges, in shops, in factories, in offices, in streets, in neighborhoods, right here, right now, in Fredericton. This is not about a select few who were chosen. This is about all God's people stepping into this. So let's worship him and let's make a commitment in our hearts. Lord, we agree with you. We're going to step into this divine destiny that you prophesied about this morning. Why? Because he loves us and he delights in us and he's got great plans and great purposes. Amen.